Welcome to the BT Focus podcast dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the BT Focus podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaminsky, and today we start the first of a three-part collaboration series highlighting a number of our other Centria podcasts. And today we are going to be listening to the Do Wonders podcast hosted by Timothy Yeager that centers around the team members that make Centria the outstanding organization that it is. This episode, we're going to be hearing from Marissa Dean, who is a behavior technician and a behavior support specialist out in our Pacific Northwest. Marissa shares about the role of mentorship and how it ultimately led her to pursue a career in behavior analysis and ultimately opt for graduate studies to become a BCBA. Um, Timothy and Marissa talk about uh, different approaches that she utilizes out in the field. They talk about some some concepts and some uh, different practical tools. It's a wonderful conversation. And I encourage you as a follow-up, listen to the next episode um, where we hear from Marissa's mentor that she references in the episode, Kiara, in a later episode, um, to see both perspectives of a supervisor and a supervisee and the incredible work that a treatment team can have in the lives of our families. I love this conversation. I know that you will too. I feel like I found my purpose with ABA. I, I don't know how to explain it. Each and every day across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria technicians and clinicians providing ABA therapy to individuals with autism. And this show is about telling their stories and the stories of our tireless staff that support this powerful mission. I'm your host, Timothy Yeager, and this is the Do Wonders Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Do Wonders Podcast. This week, you're in for a treat. Marissa Dean, Behavior Technician Specialist in the Pacific Northwest region. And she really highlights that the work we do is about relationships. It's the relationship between the technician and the client and the relationship between the technician and their supervisor. And in a field where behavior technician retention is a challenge... Marissa does a great job in highlighting how her supportive working environment really led her to thrive and ultimately choose a career in applied behavior analysis. Thank you for joining me, Marissa. Of course. I'm really nervous and excited to be here. All right. We'll take a deep breath. We'll be fine. We'll get through this. (laughs) So tell me a little about yourself, um, what you uh, do as a BT specialist, and how long you've been working for Centria. So I've been with Centria, I think about roughly three years. I just had an anniversary. I primarily work with kiddos as a technician. I've worked with all ranges from you know 2 to 14, 15, maybe one or two 17-year-olds. And I also help with overlaps, such as training with newer techs. And 
as a practicum student, I also like to go out and do assessments with BCBAs, kind of get my, you know, knowledge on firsthand. <laughs> and I just recently finished my master's program. So hopefully by January, I'll be able to sit for my exam and be a BCBA as well. Let's talk through that, those three years. So how'd you get in this line of work? Centria found me. I originally went to school undergrad as for speech and hearing sciences. And I always knew I wanted to work with children, but I wasn't sure how. And then I received an email one day on, I think it was indeed.com. And I just liked what I saw. Started off working a case uh, with Kiara, one of our uh, RCDs. And she really, she really helped me like find my passion for ABA, and that's when I decided this is what I wanted to do. Was there a was there a moment or story where like that that happened where it clicked for you and like this is this is exactly what I want? There were there are several, but I think I was working with a nonverbal kiddo, and he said his first word to me, and I I had to go cry like mm. happy tears, of course, but I was so happy and he was happy and parents were happy. And I just was like, I really like this. And so I really liked being able to see the progress we made. I liked being able to see the numbers, the charts, and just, it felt really good. And yeah. so I think that's when it really clicked. Yeah. I can hear that. Like first words, you know, don't always, you know, they don't happen every day. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but those graphs that you're speaking about that show progress, those keep you yeah. working, right? Like the, those oh, are yeah. your, your measures of success. Mm -hmm. What also helped me really like this profession is the amount of support I received. So whenever I needed anything, my BCBA was immediately there. Um, questions, comments, concerns. If I was in the middle of a crisis with my client and I was scared or not sure, she would drop everything to be there for me. And I, I really felt heavily supported and never once felt that I was just left out to dry. Like I really, really valued the support I got. So Kiara, was she your, your BCBA at that time? She was. And shout out Kiara. <laughs> it's actually the one who wrote me a letter of recommendation for school for my master's program. She had so much insight and she was my rock. <laughs> On the flip side, Natalie Shin, she was the CSM at the time. She was also very supportive as well. Both of them were always there to help me if I needed something. And I love hearing this because part of the mission of this, of this podcast is really to, to talk about the stories that we've experienced, but also highlight the relationships that we have along the mm -hmm. way. And you know, I think that's one of the values that we have here at Century is we have so many people that are supporting our great mission. And these mm -hmm. relationships are really what carry us through you know, the ups and the downs throughout, yeah. throughout these three years, I'm sure you've had, you know, people, these people through your, you know, there to support you along the way. Oh yeah. I, they've been amazing. I don't, I don't know how I would have done it without them. I'm sure someone else would have been there, but having them was really beneficial. It's awesome to hear. What's a, what's a great day for Marissa? I don't know. I, I feel like almost every day is a great day. I think the days that I don't like the most are the ones where I feel like I could have done something differently. But I I view those more as like a learning day for, sure. for me, uh, where I sit there and I kind of process what happened, what I could have done differently. And then it just prepares me for the next day to go in and you know tackle whatever I'm tackling. 
Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully whatever you're tackling, not whomever you're tackling. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I think it's really important uh, perspective because um, we don't know all the answers, mm-hmm. right? We don't have all the answers and we don't know, you know, the right choices. And I'm taking that perspective of as, as you know, days in which you could have done better as an opportunity to learn. I think that's the most healthy yeah. approach. And when I do a lot of overlaps with newer technicians, I always try to let them know, like, I'm not infallible. I, I make mistakes as well. And that's what I love about being an ABA is I'm constantly learning. Um, no client is the same. And so I can't just approach every situation with the same technique. Sometimes I have to think outside the box. Or sometimes I have to, I have to ask for guidance. So you went through your master's program. Um, yes. How was that experience? Um... It was I, a mixture of like fun and not fun. Um, <laughs> the not fun was writing really long papers. But I did discover that I really enjoy natural environment teaching. I got to really geek out with a lot of my peers. And a lot of the... Some of the practicum students in my cohort are also Centria employees and practicum students. And so it really helped build that bond for us as well, too being able to learn together and then navigate, you know, clinical work as well together. What is natural environment training? Using learning in the natural environment. So an example is like if I'm working on like naming colors, I can do that while we're playing with cars. I can be playing with a kiddo. Um, It seems more like fun to them, like they're having a break and we're playing. But then I'll sneak in little things like, what color is this? Oh, it is a yellow car. And then keep playing. And so they're learning while having fun. And the reinforcer is is the playing part. Like it's natural. It's built in. Yeah, it's built into it. Which I like DTT as well, too. I just, I really enjoy playing with kids. So that's why I right. like NAD. And getting paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I hear you. I, I think, you know, there are times for both. And mm-hmm. the, the opportunity, I think, that we have as an organization is understanding that learning is always happening with our clients. Oh, yes. Right? So mm-hmm. every single moment you're with them as a technician and a client, learning is occurring. It's just a matter of, are we guiding that learning or not, right? Yes. And, and taking advantage of those natural opportunities to like, motivation's already built in. They already want to do it. They're playing engaged. How can we use that as a way to, to, to further their development and, uh, um, and have fun along the way? Yeah. And I also like that it also builds on generalization. So if we have been learning from something at DTT, um, we can take what we've learned from the table to what we're doing when we're playing and doing naturally fun things too. Yeah. Let's, let's take a step back a little bit and let's can, can we think of a client that you've had um, along your three years? Um, I think it's really important for us to share those stories. And I was wondering if there's a story along the way that a, a client that's impacted your life in some meaningful way. I feel like they all have kind of impacted me in a way. The client I have now, I've been with for about a year and a half, two years. And I think one of the things that I really... Just them being excited to see me and things like that. It just really lets me know that I'm I'm making change, but in like a impactful way and not just, you know, on a chart, but just like, I don't know, they feel good when they see me. Yeah. They're happy. I can see the smiles on their faces. And 
I think it was one story was, so the kiddo used to say, I hate you. I hate you all the time to me. Mm. And then um, I don't know how long we had been in session, but one day I left and I was, as I was leaving, I was like, bye. And he turned, he's like, I love you. And I was Mm. like, Oh, that makes my heart happy. I, I really feel like that really stuck with me because that's one of the stories that I will always remember. And so I, I think that's a powerful story. And <laughs> what I think that's um, to highlight in that story is that the work that we do impacts a, a client's life in a lot of meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. One way is you know, our clients typically come to us with social deficits. Yeah. And part of that deficit is, um, um, there's these things called conditioned reinforcers and there's these things that um, uh, they have to learn along the way. And part of that is learning the value of another person in a yeah. social relationship. And, you know, while you're teaching them colors or while you're teaching them to request certain things or do certain things, what you're also doing is establishing a meaningful relationship to them. Yeah. And how powerful is that, that, you know, some of our clients don't have those prior to us. And then we come in and we do the work that we, you know, do and we start to establish those. And that has meaningful impact, not just for you and him, which is significant, but for, you know, for their life and the relationships they come to after that. And that's, it's a pretty powerful thing. You know, we may use edible reinforcement as like part of our arsenal of things that we do, but the end goal is like, you want to become the big Skittle. Like you want to be that Skittle and you became that Skittle for this kid, right? Yeah, I really like that. I think I'm going to keep that. You be the big Skittle. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so along those lines, you know, part of our podcast is talking a little bit about the science along the way. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about in a lot of ways is the role of consequences. And so I mm-hmm. thought we could talk a little bit about consequences. And in a previous podcast, I talked about this uh, um, philosophical position of pragmatism and how our science is built on um, we do what works for us. Mm-hmm. And the role of consequences is establishing what works and what doesn't work. At the, the most basic level, like we target behaviors and we provide consequences if we want them to work, which is called reinforcement. I thought I want to talk to you a little bit about when you came in contact with this idea and using reinforcement. And, and I think, you know, at our day and age, it sounds somewhat natural. Um, but maybe I thought maybe you could talk through your journey with the use of reinforcement and maybe how that's evolved over time. I I definitely, when it comes to reinforcement, I always try to get preference assessment in to try and find out what will be reinforcing. Because I said before, a lot of clients have different things. Some clients may find, you know, pressure, squeezes, reinforcing, and some may not want you to touch them at all. So I always try to start with what is their preference. And then I go with that, I try to get more than one preference or one more than one reinforcer ready. Because sometimes I've also had clients be like, mm, I just don't want that today. And I'm like, mm, thanks for telling me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I try to always have, you know, more than one reinforcer available. I carry around a lot of stuff with me in sessions, So I try to have a lot of those things. But then I also, you know, when we're doing different things, I like to remind of reinforcers that we're going to work for. And that usually is, you know, if they're really powerful, it, it really gets kids motivated. I've also found choice is a really good reinforcer as well. So for some of my kiddos, they like to have some sense of control. 
And so I've recently started creating like icons that will say like, you know, Marissa's choice or kiddo's choice to kind of like have them have some control over the reinforcer that they get to pick. I think for people who are listening that aren't in our fields, that should align with their life, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah, want choice, right? Like we, we want to be able to choose what we want in our life and do. Yeah. There are items that we want certain days and there's things that we don't want other days, right? Like sometimes I like to have conversation and sometimes I like to sit in quiet and have nobody talk with me, right? That, yeah. that varies. <laughs> and then sometimes you have these really powerful things that we, that we want to work for in our life that start to um, work as like a motivating condition, right? To where like, you know, I, I want to save money for this big trip. So I'm going to start mm-hmm. doing the behaviors and necessary to like save money. And so I can go to the you know, Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. it, it all aligns with what people experience in their, in their life. Yeah. And I also like, and, and this also may not work for every client as well too, but I like the choice option because if I do like a forced choice preference assessment, maybe the two options I have are just neither one of them are reinforcing. And so then I run into this brick wall of non-compliance. Um, and sometimes maybe, you know, the environment is oversatiated with things and I just can't identify anything that's, going to be you know really reinforcing that's why i like to use the like you get to pick like i'm gonna do whatever you do what do you want to do so yeah i'm sorry i feel like i I went down this rabbit hole of that's the whole point of podcasts (laughs) we go down rabbit holes and so let's talk about preference assessment then Mm -hmm. um you brought it up a few times and can you give the listeners a little uh, taste on what a preference assessment is and maybe some different options Layman's terms, I'm figuring out what's going to be reinforcing for the kiddo. Uh, What are they going to be willing to work for or play with? Uh, What are they finding valuable in that moment? So forced choice, I might hold two items in my hand, a ball and a slinky and say, pick one. Um, And whichever one they pick is the one I'll hand them and let them enjoy for a minute or two. Then I could do a preference assessment with five or six toys and... Um, do it with replacement or not replacement. So replacement would be putting the item back. Um, Not replacement would be removing it. And then the array being the leftover toys. And so kind of with the replacement and non-replacement, I'd make a list of reinforcing items based on how popular they were. If I see that the kiddo grabbed the slinky, you know, first every time, I'm going to say that's probably on my top list you know, reinforcers, the slinky is really powerful. And then the rest will go down a list and maybe the ball's second powerful. And so we go through, and that's great. And so we go through these preference assessments and you identify those things. What should you see with the client's behavior when you, you know, deliver one of those identified reinforcers? Um, happiness. <laughs> yes. um, um, especially after running trials and you show them that reinforcer. Uh, for example, I have one client now that really likes the, the cars that you roll back. Um, mm-hmm. And the minute I bring those out, it's like, whoo, <laughs> yay. And they continue to do the things necessary yes. to continue to earn those things. Right. So yeah, I, I think that's the one thing that for listeners who are not in, in our field is that, you know, Marissa may identify what these re- reinforcers are, but really the effect of using them is what we're looking at. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, not everyone likes stickers, not everyone likes hugs, not everyone likes praise. And so you ultimately have to do this dance with the, with the client of identifying what's working now. And, and if it's not working, what can you do differently? Yeah. And sometimes that's a struggle. And as with like reinforcement, kind of touching on what you were saying, we're increasing behaviors. So like you were saying, the reinforcement added after a trial is if it's making them happy, they're more likely to keep doing it. For sure. And yeah, that makes me think of some of the work of Greg Hanley. And he talks a lot about having clients that are happy, relaxed and engaged Mm -hmm. and how that's an optimal environment for for our clients to learn. Yes, awesome. I, I learn best when I'm happy yeah. <laughs> and engaged. I agree. Um, all right. So here's the last question of the day. Marissa, what's your why? You've been in this field for three years. What motivates you each and every day to do the best job that you can? Oh, wow. That's a really tough question. It what's should be. the why? <laughs> um, I really have a lot of fun doing what I do. Even on what people would list as a bad day, I still consider that as being progress being made. I really like the smiles that I see, um, not just from the kiddos, but the parents. I think I think when a family comes to me and they're like, oh my gosh, it's been it, everything is working. Everything is just perfect. And I'm like, I'm so happy. And usually they'll be like, oh, it's all thanks to you. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a team effort. We we did it together. It's not just me. It's not just the BCBA. It's the families too. I, I really like that happy feeling. And I think those outweigh, you know, the bad days, as people would say. I really like to geek out on graphs. I love to see those graphs. I love to see when, you know, skill acquisition, we're like through the roof on skill acquisition. And then we see all the behaviors are, you know, near zero. I mean, it just makes me feel really happy. I don't know. I feel like I found my purpose with ABA. I don't know how to explain it. it. It's been really fun. I've learned a lot of things. I've been able to really sit there and think critically. And I think one of the best things about ABA is like, like no kid is the same. So I'm always like met with some kind of like, hmm, how can I do this? How can I make this better? How can I help this client? What can I give them or change or things like that? I mean, that's a very long-winded why. <laughs> A beautiful answer. I really appreciate you struggling through that. And, and um, I know that that touched a lot of people. So thank you for that. Well, I can guarantee you, I'm probably going to think about this later today. Like, hmm, what else is part of my why? <laughs> I think it's something that we should always be thinking about. There's this other area of behavior analysis called acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm. And a part of their work is when we think about the role of consequences, um, your why is um, what other people may, may call values. Like what are mm. the values that we have as an individual and ultimately a happy, healthy life is when the actions that you do every day align with your values. And when they do that, you contact positive reinforcement. And so what you're talking about really is you, you it sounds like to me that you found a, a job that, the actions you do on a daily basis align with your values as a person. And as a result of that, you're being reinforced. I like that. That makes me warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, I would agree. I, I like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining me today, Marissa. I really appreciate the time to get to know you and, and hearing about the work that you do. Of course. Thank you for having me. This has been very eye-opening and fun, even though I was really nervous. Oh, you did a great job. 
And that concludes another episode of the Do Wonders podcast, where our mission is to tell the stories of the staff that are serving our great mission. And next week, you're actually going to get to hear from Kiara Bettinger, the supervisor who played such an important role in the work of Marissa Dean. Until next week, do wonders. Hi, BT Focus listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Now, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at our Google Voice account at 248-215-2464 if you have any thoughts, ideas, or questions. You may even hear them on the air. Or drop us a message at btfocus at centriahealthcare.com. Until next time.